Thank you, Chrissy. Praise team. We're looking at Ephesians 4. We've been out of Ephesians for a few weeks. And if you remember last week, we talked about the resurrection. And it was Easter Sunday, obviously. And we talked about how Jesus punched a hole through death and has broken through. And he has ascended into heaven. And what we see in this passage is that when Jesus ascended into heaven and has won our victory, he gives gifts to the church. And the gifts are these spiritual gifts poured out by his spirit. And the gifts are to build the church. Jesus came to build his church. The spirit of God was poured out on the church to build a new humanity, a new society. And Jesus has killed the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. And all the walls of partitions have been broken down. We all now have both equal access to God through the blood of Christ. And the church is God's witness to the world. He uses the church. This is primary means. The church is the members of the body of Christ. And the church is one body, but the one body is made up of many members. We'll look at that in a second. And the local church grows as each member does its part, using their gifts for the whole. And the church now is to grow in love. So let's consider that as we look at Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. Notice the emphasis on love as I'm going through this. I therefore, Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And just as you remember Romans 12 is that big transition in the book of Romans and you get that huge therefore in Romans 12 because of all the doctrine that's gone before. Well, here we've had three chapters of doctrine about what is the church and it's the manifold wisdom of God and he's praying for glory to be in the church. And so how's this glory gonna be in the church? Well, we've got this big therefore. Okay, here's the practical doctrine now in Ephesians and it's being laid out that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How do we do it? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speak in the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me pray for us. Father, help us to grow up into maturity together. We pray that your spirit would speak corporately to to us as a body, individually as well. Pray that, Lord, you would show us what we should be doing and pray that you would illuminate this passage by the power of your spirit. Jesus' name, amen. So the church is God's witness to the world, as I said, and each part of the church, the members are to be using their gifts and they're to do it. And notice how in verse in 4.2, it says that this is how we're to do it. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Love was an interesting I mean, ultimately where this is going is we're to grow up in love. We're to do this in love. We're to bear with one another in love. We're to speak the truth in in love. And we're ultimately to build each other up in love. And yet love was a huge problem in the church of Ephesus. Think of all the all-star pastors that were, that were in Ephesus. Imagine if you, if you went into the, the church and they actually, you know, like had a camera and they could have, you know, hung the eight by tens in the, in the narthex of the previous pastors of Ephesus. You know, and you've, it started with, you know, you got Priscilla and Aquila planted the church. They're all-stars. And then you got the apostle Paul. There's a big all-star. And he's replaced by Timothy, And we know that John the Apostle wrote the book of John from Ephesus. So we know he was a part of the church. So you've got John, Timothy, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila. Would that be a pretty good all-star lineup of of, uh, pastors there for your church? And yet when we fast forward a few years past this book of Ephesians, the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. And Jesus had given him this revelation and he said about the church of Ephesus, there was a rebuke. And Jesus says, I have this against you to the church of Ephesus, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So even though they had all these all-star pastors, all-star church, they abandoned their first love. They lost their first love some years later. If you went to marriage counseling and the counselor told you that you had abandoned the love that you had at first, you'd lost your first love, and remember where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first, how would you interpret that? You'd say, wow, this this is serious. I need to rekindle the flame. I need to make my spouse a priority. I need to carve out more time for my, my spouse. I need to listen better. I need to serve better. I need to sacrifice more. I need to forgive. I need I need to be patient. While your spouse is talking. Jesus is the bridegroom. We're the bride. And he says to his church, the bride here, you've lost your first love. 
And Jesus says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the work she did at first. Interestingly, the commentaries, they see this first love with the Ephesian church as not so much vertical, though somewhat, but more horizontal. They were no longer deeply loving one another. Listen to just how a few commentators comment on this losing the first love, because I think it has everything to do with why we might not use our gifts in the church. If you say, well, you know, why are you not using your gifts in the church? Well, if you lost your first love, well, then you got other things to do. Other things are more important. Leon Morris says this, they had yielded to the temptation ever present to Christian to put all their emphasis on sound teaching. In the process, they lost love, without which all else is nothing. A church can continue only for so long on a loveless course. Continuing on that course means ceasing to be a church. Its lampstand is removed. William Barclay, here was a deliberate adoption of a lower standard. The works had ceased to be the outpouring of love and had become essentially legalistic for the demands of love were proving too costly. When this happens in a church, it's near spiritual death. Beasley Murray, another commentary. When love for God wanes, love for man diminishes. And where love for man is soured, love for God degenerates into religious formalism, and both constitute a denial of the revelation of God in Christ. If the price paid by the Ephesians for the preservation of true Christianity was the loss of love, the price was too high. For Christianity without love is a perverted faith. And then Kim Riddlebarger says, therefore, the loss of the first love is much more likely a reference to the fact that all of the doctrinal infighting the congregation has experienced has produced a bitterness and judgmental attitude within the congregation. The problem is not the desire for sound doctrine has dried up their love for Christ. Rather, the struggle over sound doctrine has produced a poisonous atmosphere in which the believers have lost their love for each other. Given what they have been through, they suspect others of teaching false doctrine. They've become overly critical, questioning not only doctrine but motive. They become contentious and they argue about theological minutia. Donald Whitney has a great book and he printed it some years ago. It's called The Ten Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. I've been hearing a lot about it again from my dad. My dad's not a, a big reader but he is a digester of what he reads. And when he reads something, he reads it. And he's constantly sharing it with everybody, what he's reading. And so he's been sharing me these quotes from this book. And four of the 10 questions in the book of your spiritual checkup, they're horizontally related. We tend to think, and when I say, what's your path to spiritual maturity? Do you tend to think horizontal or vertical? I need to spend more time in God's word. I need to pray more. And he asks questions like, here are four of the 10 questions. Are you more loving? Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs for others? Do you delight in the bride of Christ? Are you a quicker forgiver? Those are four of the 10 questions. They're all horizontal. Whitney says, our attitude should never be, how little can I serve in the church without my conscience bothering me? But how much can I serve without neglecting my other God-given priorities? That's the right attitude of one who has turned from himself to serve the living God. What question are you asking yourself this morning? How little can I serve 
Or how much can I serve without neglecting my other God-given responsibilities? He tells a story of a lady in the church who worked in the nursery. And the reason she worked in the nursery, she said, I went to the adult class and I received some wonderful teaching. Then I went to the morning worship service and received some more wonderful teaching. The same is true for the evening service and the Wednesday night Bible study. Finally, it hit me that at most services, all I did was receive. The nursery program was the one place in the church that I gave. Have you found a place in the church where it's not about you, where you just get to give? Do you receive more ministry from the church than you minister to it? You see, this is the path to maturity that Paul is laying out for the church here in Ephesians 4. It's when every member of the body is using their gifts And it says the whole body, verse 16, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly. Any mechanics in in the room? Any engineers? You always think about structure and systems and how things are working properly. Well, how are things going to work properly? It's only going to work if the members all pitch in and are all using their gifts so that the body grows, so that it builds itself up in love. That's how the church grows. And when God looks at the church, it's interesting, there's more of a corporate emphasis than an individual emphasis. So almost all the the commands in Paul's epistles, when you see a you, for example, they're plural. Now there is something that's marked out as individual in this passage, and it's verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us So now we have the first six verses are all about unity, and then it's all about diversity from verse 7 to 16. And it's unity and diversity equals maturity. And so we we wait up the path to maturity is when we're living as a unified body, but this unity is not uniformity. We've all been given different, different gifts, but as we use these diverse gifts and we're using them together in the body of Christ, then we as a group move to maturity. That's what what Paul is saying. That's what he's been praying for, and he's praying for glory in the church because this is what Jesus is building, his church. And so is the church stronger because of you, because of your contribution? Nutritionists speak of empty calories. Such a lovely term, empty calories. Empty calorie... I looked this up a little bit, did a little internet research. It has the same energy content as any other calorie, but lacks the accompanying nutrients such as vitamins and dietary minerals and antioxidants and amino acids and dietary fiber. So example, and I meant to bring this. I meant to bring some just raw sugar and hold up some sugar. Forgot my visual this morning, but a diet exclusively of refined sugar is lethal. Why? Because not only does it produce nothing but empty calories, but wait, it gets worse. Sugar is worse than that because these empty calories are like a leech. They suck the body of the precious vitamins and minerals as empty calories are demanding. They demand. It needs to be digested. It needs for detoxification. It needs for elimination. And it works on the entire system of which it's contributing nothing. Empty calories. That would be a bad place to be in the body, wouldn't it? Just to be an empty calorie. My job is to be a drain on everybody else. (laughs) That would be bad. 
We need to, as the various members, though, use their gifts. It's important that we, that we keep in mind there's lots of parts that tend to get all the attention. You know, they get the prominent, you know, the, the ones that are up front and the ones that have a microphone. And we, we recognize certain parts of our body, like our eyes, if we can't see, or our ears and we can't hear. But even things like the liver. I mean, imagine if your liver just said, okay, I'm done today. I am handing the ball off for two years. I am checking out, taking a break. What would happen? We wouldn't be around very long. Because your body's main chemical factory is your liver. And scientists have counted over 500 different functions of the liver. We need a good liver. And then you think about your digestive system. Now, sorry, this is a little, you know, we're talking about the body of Christ doing its part. Digestive system, it's about a 30-foot track, okay? Here to, here to Chris, all right? <laughs> and it converts f- fuel, food to fuel. Very little goes to waste, but just to even digest a glass of milk. Your body has to work together. The various parts of the digestive tract have to come together. They say, okay, we got this glass of milk. And esophagus, go to work, and mouth, and stomach, and small intestine, large intestine, and gallbladder, and pancreas, and liver. They all have to do their part just to digest a glass of milk. Your, Your digestive system is this great processing plant that produces over 50 tons of food, processes over 50 tons of food in an average lifetime. Wow. Now, some of these parts that we just kind of overlook. So here's one that that we don't talk about. Stomach mucus. That is a precious part of the body. If your stomach mucus went on strike, what would happen? Your stomach has to produce a new layer of mucus every week or it would digest itself. If the mucus breaks down, we get an ulcer or worse, much worse. The acid in our stomach is strong enough to dissolve razor blades, and it would digest the stomach itself, if not for God's protective layers of mucus. Now, some of us get to play that part in the body of Christ. Our job is protection in the body, and we work to protect and help the body from eating itself apart. We all have a part to play. And so God's uh, recipe for his kingdom on this earth and being manifest is through the church. And so the body, each part has to do its part. And so this is what he's getting at here. And so we can't say to ourselves about the church, you can't say, well, you know what? I need to discover myself right now. I think I'm gonna take a break. I've got some, some binge Netflix watching I want to attend to for the next, you know, six months. And yet the reality is the pressures in this particular area, and as I talk to different pastors, we're not unique. They have, they have been ratcheted up. Things are increasing. We are getting busier. And as a result of this busyness, what's happened is we're losing our first love. And the first love is the things we used to do in the church, the ways we used to contribute in the body, the things we used to do. If we start to pull back from those things, we have to ask ourselves why. 
And then we often find ourselves getting bored, even though we're so busy. Well, the reason we get bored is because we're made in the image of God to use these various gifts and talents, and boredom is kind of like this little iceberg coming out of the water to say, you're made in the image of God, you're not using your gifts like you should, boredom, boredom, beep, beep, and it's it's letting us know that we should be doing more. We struggle with the cares, the pleasures of this world, desire for other things that the parable of the sower talks about, and it's this constant weed that always has to be cut down. And so if those weeds are not cut down, what happens, it begins to choke the word, and then it chokes love for the church, and then the church starts to become ho-hum, and sermons start to become mundane, and church becomes a 75-minute checkoff box, done for the week, been there, done that. Has the church become mundane, mechanical, routine, dry, boring? Or do you find yourself being kind of prone to criticize or complaining? Or do you find yourself moving in compassion and caring for the church? Are we more tired and weary from these other pursuits that have left us exhausted? And, and, and as a result, we have given the church just the little morsels of leftovers that we have to offer. That's what Jesus has taken the church, the Ephesian church, to task for. There was an old song by Michael Card that he used to sing in the 90s, and it was, Is There a Joy in the Journey? And he says, There's a wonder and wildness to life and a freedom for those who obey. Is that how you describe your journey, your walk with Jesus? Or have the sermons become dull, the services long, and the pastoral prayers a nap? God's plan of working in our lives for us to grow and for the world to see Christ is God has ordained this, the church. And that's what Jesus is, he ascended into heaven, and the idea of, of this idea of the victory was this Old Testament idea of they were bringing the ark uh, up to Jerusalem, and it was in this Psalm 68, it was now, okay, now we're, we're, we're the spoils and we're giving out the goods, and it was symbolic of we, the, the milk and honey, we've, we've arrived, we've made it into the promised land, and, and now Paul is looking at, at, back at Psalm 68, and he's looking at it through the lens of Christ is now punched this hole through death, ascended up into heaven, he's won the victory, and when you won the victory, you would you would take all the spoils and you would give them out to all the people in in the city. We've won this victory, here are the spoils. Jesus has won the victory and now he's plundering Satan's domain, bringing people like you and me out of Satan, out of the dominion of of darkness and we're being deported and brought into light and now the gifts that he's pouring out and saying here, he's pouring them out on the church and their spiritual gifts. And the spiritual gifts, he talks about, he's given these gifts and he gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets. And those are, if you look at Ephesians in 2.20 and 3.5, these are foundational gifts, okay? They're, they're no longer needed in the church. We don't need more foundation. And then we have shepherds and we have teachers and their job is to equip the saints. And notice the, the preposition. You go from to equip the saints for the, for the building for the work of ministry, for the body of Christ. 
And so the last time I preached this question, I said, how many ministers are at Shady Grove? Who are our ministers? It was a trick question. Who are the ministers? You are. And so we're, we minister to each other, but the minister is, we tend to elevate, you know, when there's a problem or there's work to be done, we call the pastor. And here it's, it's saying that the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And when that happens, until, and then it talks about this progression till we all attain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. We grow up together. Now, if we think there's somehow we can do this without the church, we fool ourselves, don't we? John Calvin said in his Institutes, had this harsh quote he said about those who think they, they don't need the church. He said, they therefore are insane, who neglecting this means, hope to be perfect in Christ, as is the case with fanatics who pretend to secret revelations of the spirit, and the proud, who content themselves with the private readings of the, private reading of the scripture and imagine they do not need the ministry of the church. We need one another. Begins with opening up our homes. We begin to open up our hearts, open up our homes. And notice how the emphasis here at this beginning is we're to maintain the unity of the spirit or we're to keep it. We don't, we don't, um, we don't make the unity of the Spirit. Jesus died to do that, and the Spirit has knit us together in Christ. Our job is to maintain it, and we're to do it with every effort, make every effort, or to be eager. The idea is to be diligent. And then how, does it, how do we do this? Well, Paul makes a big deal of this word all in the book of Ephesians. You should read the book of Ephesians sometime and just underline every time it says all. 37 times, at least. There's some, there's some every's too, and that's the same Greek word, but there's at least 37 references. But notice that with verse two it begins, it doesn't say with some humility, or, or, you know, or as Paul McCartney would say, you know, with a little love. It, it, no, no, with all humility. All gentleness is the idea. The only way this is gonna work is with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. We're given 10 things to work on as the book ends of this chapter. Four things were to put on, six things were to put off, and they all have this emphasis on the alls. So if you look at the end, the book ends of the book, in the last verse, verse 31, here's six things you, we have to get rid of. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, that's a lot of stuff, be put away from you, along with all malice. So we gotta put all those things off, and we're to put on these other things, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And sometimes that's hard, isn't it? And so for us, what, what does it mean when it says humility and gentleness and patience and to bear with one another? It's bearing with each other's idiosyncrasies. It's being patient when wronged. It's being patient when you feel like you're being sinned against or when you're being mistreated. It's being patient in all. What is Jesus? What was Jesus? He said he was gentle and lowly of heart. 
come to me, he says, right? And then he calls us in his footsteps to all humility and gentleness. We're not to be these big all-stars that are doing all these impressive, great things. I mean, those are great for the people that do them, but the church is so often served best when Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he says, you have this example. Go and do likewise. Do the little mundane, ordinary things of washing each other's feet and serving each other and meeting needs and going and helping others and realizing there's nothing that's beneath you. And when people come and they have a, a word that they wanna give you and it's not the word that you wanna hear and you receive it and you say, okay, what can I learn from this? Then the church starts to grow in the midst of this and the world starts to take notice when the church is doing its job and they look and they see the body of Christ. I remember some years ago, and I'll close with this, we did a reception here years ago and the, um, it was a wedding and, and you know, we basically, we said, look, it's gonna be a lot of money to do this reception and we're just gonna, we got, the, the couple got married at another church down the street and we broke down this whole sanctuary but all the members brought all the food and they did everything for this reception. And somebody came that was an unbeliever, that was a neighbor of the, uh, of the uh, husband and she came to me and said, you're the pastor of this church. And she said, and, and your people did all of this. And she's just looking around and she just said, impressive. And she was in awe of seeing the church doing, of being the church. What a beautiful thing. May the Lord enable us to do that again, you know, by his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being a part of something that's so much bigger than anything that any of us could do. We thank you that you are a great God and that you, are, you would use us to be part of this body of Christ. Thank you for the gifts of your spirit that you've given to each one here that you have sovereignly given. Lord, help us and give us wisdom on how to use the gifts. And Lord, may we truly spur one another on to love and good deeds. Meet our needs in this body. Needs for children's ministry workers, new missions committee chairman. Lord, there are a lot of needs. We ask that you would help us and that you would supply. Thank you, Lord, for our church. We ask that you would bless it and that, Lord, you'd help us to pray for the church. We ask in all this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond and sing in this morning. Jesus, I'm resting, resting. Would you stand with me?